Greetings. We offer these podcasts freely, and your support really makes a difference. To make a donation, please visit tarabrock.com. Namaste and welcome. This is the second part of a two-part series on listening and really how to deepen our practice and and paying attention, to listen with what St. Benedict calls the ears of the heart. And really it's how to create that intimacy, listening to our inner life, listening to each other, to our living earth. So I, uh, this week, asked Facebook friends to share some of their wisdom about listening. I'll be weaving that in. We got some wonderful responses. I learned a lot. (laughs) I'll share some. Uh, And the talk's really organized around some of the key questions I've gotten about listening over the years. We'll start with a, a cartoon of a a man and a woman on their first date and his thought bubble is saying I can't think of anything to say she must think I'm a total bore her thought bubble a man who actually listens to me (laughs) I think I'm in love (laughs) so you might remember from the last class one of my favorite images or metaphors is of our life as a fountain and that when we're clear, when things are moving, really our, our soul can express into words and actions who we are. But when we haven't been listened to, debris clogs us up and, and we get kind of withheld and then what comes out isn't really what we mean and what we care about and what we feel. And so when we offer someone listening, it's a way of because we all have some debris of dissolving some of that debris so the who they are can flow through more clearly it's an amazing gift it tells someone you matter when we listen so I often think of it if, if tens of thousands of us just had that heightened commitment to listening more deeply there are ripples in this world that are so beautiful and so possible And I know that most people think listening is a good idea and that uh, some of you even might have, after the last exploration, said, okay, I'm going to do it, you know, and then then realized that um, after the fact that you had meant to listen and you just completely spaced out or you, you got distracted or you got reactive and something happened or you just couldn't resist getting in what you wanted to say. It's so, um, it's such a habit to have wanting to put ourselves into a conversation that we don't often create a space. One uh, writer friend, Leibowitz, says, the opposite of talking isn't listening. The opposite of talking is waiting. (laughs) We're waiting for somebody to be done so we can say our thing. This is from Winnie the Pooh. If the person you are talking to doesn't appear to be listening, be patient. It may simply be that he has a small piece of fluff in his ear. (laughs) I was going to rename these talks, Removing the Fluff. (laughs) So we do have this incessant inner dialogue. And the same training that we do in meditation to come really home to ourselves is the training we do for listening, coming back into presence so we can actually be here uh, for others. One friend from Facebook says, what really helps me in listening better is to empty my own mind completely of any thoughts, expectations, fears, or judgments whenever I begin the process of listening. I try to become the space that is listening and not the self that is listening. It's beautiful and it's profoundly challenging. Martha Postelway, a wonderful poet, reminds us to make a clearing in the dense forest of your life. Make a clearing in the dense forest of your life. 
And that's really what we're asked to do if we want to listen to each other, is to kind of make a clearing, make room for the other being to express. So it starts with becoming aware of the dense forest and not making that a, any sort of a judgment. Um, that's why it's such a powerful phrase in a poem. And we all know that we get all clogged up. There's a lot of fluff. So the first step of training in listening is to start noticing, okay, it was pretty dense. There wasn't a whole lot of space for this other person. So our ongoing training in listening is a regular meditation practice. It's to be able to sit and then notice all the busyness and start... It's not like the thoughts should go away, but just start being aware of how much is going on in your mind. And it's just the noticing of the thoughts that begins to create the space of freedom. You recognize you've gone off on a thought train. Oh, okay, okay, thinking, thinking. And you kind of reopen it again and listen to the sounds that are right here and feel your breath again. Okay, I'm back. Now, while our emphasis is going to be listening more to each other, a powerful way to cultivate listening is by listening to sounds. It's one of the most beautiful ways you can practice with a meditation is just to start really paying attention to the sounds that are there. Because as you listen to sounds, you start sensing the space they're happening in and the silence that's listening. A woman I know uh, introduced meditation to Montessori school children. There were seven to eleven-year-olds. And uh, one of the things she did was she, she had a gong and she said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to the sound and just follow the sound and watch where it goes. Just bring an interest to that. And she says, if you watch or follow, you might get closer to God. Well, a young boy did it. He had that experience in class and then he told his mother about the experience. His mother then relayed to this teacher what he had said. Um, And here's what the little boy had said. He said, well, when I watched and listened to where the sound went, I didn't get closer to God. I was God. It still gives me the goosebumps when when I think of that that we become the awareness itself that's listening. We become the silence that's listening. So if you'd like to close your eyes, you can experiment a little right here. So listen and with interest, just watch where the sound goes. One of the beautiful things about listening to sound is that you begin to sense the space they're happening in. So that if you continue to listen right now and sense even the most distant sounds and you might notice that they don't really seem like they're inside your body It's hard to sense inside and outside. 
noticing how sounds are just known by awareness. They're happening in the space of awareness, in that vastness. And that which knows sound is silence. It's a silence that's listening. So when we're really listening to each other, there's a deep quietness that's possible that makes a space. But often, as you know, the dense forest is there. So at first we have to just notice that that's happening and just have the intention of quieting. Even more than just what we call the dense forest, as we're listening to others, all the old habits of personality jump forward. We quickly get stirred up. So it's harder to rest in that really open, receptive being. And that's okay. In other words, the idea is not to judge ourselves for that, but just to get interested. What would it be like if we were more intentional about getting quiet and being the space, the silence, the presence for another person? Now, if you'd like to open your eyes, you can. And the first question I'll bring up that I get very regularly is, I mean to listen, but I forget. How do I even remember to listen? That's about it. That's the most basic one. And that's where I think it's really useful to assume that on your path, on your spiritual path, or whatever you consider your path, that listening is a very central core commitment to both be able to listen inwardly and to others because it's, it's the essence of intimacy. You cannot be intimate with yourself and another person if there's not some capacity to listen. So that's the first thing, is just to choose it as an intention. This is part of what I'm practicing. In, in Asia they call it my sadhana, my spiritual practice to choose ahead, to practice it like a practice where you actually choose somebody you're going to practice listening with. If you say, I'm going to listen, I'm going to be the silence that's listening to everybody, it's not going to happen. And it just won't. You'll be all scattered and won't happen. And you'll feel like you failed. Choose somebody. You might have someone in mind right now that's a person that's a regular part of your life that you're just going to lean in a little more with that intention. Choose ahead an anchor, something that can help bring you back to presence when you inevitably wander. Could be your hands, feeling the the energy in your hands, or feeling your whole body. For some people it's their breath. For some people one of the anchors or ways is to look at the other person's eyes. And I've shared many times that I um, look at the color of a person's eyes if I'm, this is a, it's not easy to do when you're on the phone so I don't do it then <laughs> but you, you know when you're with a person actually look at the color of their eyes because then you're starting to look into the windows of the soul and something will wake you up so pick an anchor as a, ahead of time and pick some self-coaching phrases that can you can kind of talk yourself into presence a little if you're um, if you're wandering, like sometimes I'll say something like, okay, I'm here now and I'm listening and my friend is speaking and I have all the time in the world because we always have this sense we don't have time. There is time right now. And I'm hearing who this person is behind the words. You know, so there's a real kind of intention in your coaching. So do some, you know, set your self-coaching phrases in advance, and then right before a conversation, set your intention. May I be here? May I be here? And uh, notice when you leave. When you leave, pay some kind attention to what's going on inside, and then reopen, coming back. And last but not least, hold it with interest, with humor, and with forgiveness, because inevitably you will forget and you'll interrupt and you'll have, be rehearsing what you're going to say or you'll get reactive and then if that makes you feel like you're failing then it won't be a fun kind of facade it'll just be another thing you're not doing well at so 
really make it a kind of interesting adventure. Because I promise you, if, let's say, after this reflection that we're doing together, you have several degrees more of intention to listen, your life will become more interesting. Gets more interesting, really. So another question that comes at me, I want to listen, but the other person isn't open with me. Okay? You know how there's that kind of imbalance, like you want to be listening, but the other person's just kind of talking about, you know, real superficial and it kind of reminds me of that, that Sylvia cartoon. Some of you might have heard this. Uh, so Sylvia's uh, in the guise of a fortune teller. And a woman comes up to her and says, I, I need you to guide me. My, my husband won't talk about his feelings. So, so Sylvia goes, what else is new? But she looks into her crystal ball and she goes, in 2020, men will start talking about their feelings. Within moments, women everywhere will be sorry. <laughs> so a challenge in listening is that others not speaking in the way we want them to, for us to listen to. We're not getting a good listening experience. They're not being open, they're not being honest, they're not being deep, you know. So there's this subtle level of judging that comes in and so our intention can be very benign um, we're looking for deeper contact but there's still an agenda I want to listen and have a good thing happen and I noticed this with one uh, woman who desperately wanted to turn around her relationship with her teenage daughter and she had read books about how to listen and how to draw the, you know, your, your teen out and so on but nothing was working for her in fact, every time she tried out things, her daughter would rebuff her. It was like, don't try out that thing with me, you know, and, and um, felt like her mom was too probing and so on. And so when we looked at it, I said, before you can really listen to her, there's something going on in your dense forest that wants your attention. And this is the truth for most of us. If listening's not working, there's something going on inside us that's, that's kind of creating static. And so the first step is to do that U-turn and pay attention to what's going on inside. And what's going on inside for her is she had this feeling of separateness and distance and this pain that she doesn't really know I love her. That was the pain of it, that she felt her daughter didn't really know she loved her. And so then, you know, as with rain, you know, recognize and allow that, recognize as are, A is allow, investigate and feel that clench in her heart. And then she called on her future self, that's the N of nurturing. And she, you know, her future self, basically, her wise and loving self said, trust your love for her. Don't worry about what you think she knows. Trust your love. Feel it and trust it and just, do, just send her love. So for a while she didn't try hard to be a good listener. She just said, yes, I love my daughter, and then she sent her loving-kindness blessings. And she lightened up. She didn't have this need for her daughter to know something by being a good listener. Does that make sense? Then her daughter, her daughter had been, was a senior who went to college, but then every time her daughter would come home from college, they totally connected, they talked up a storm because she had dealt with the dense forest, her own anxiety about how, what kind of a mother she was being. So be aware of the good listener agenda because that itself can get in the way. Take care of the inner first. Another key tug that takes us from listening is that there's a sense, and this is one that we've talked about some, there's not enough time. That sense of there's not enough time. And I'm wondering how many people here have noticed that with listening, that that time pressure stops you from listening. Anybody? No, not this group. (laughs) I I can see the hands going like this. Let me share with you um, a story that really has impacted me a lot. Um, This is from Tattoos on the Heart. 
and um, which is a book I highly recommend. So the um, this is a Jesuit priest working with Latino gang members. His name's Greg Boyle, Father Greg Boyle, in the most violent part of Los Angeles. He's in his office in this story. It's between morning mass. He just ended that, and he's about to do a baptism. He's running late. He has about seven minutes till he has to do the baptism. And a woman walks into his room. Her name's Carmen. She's a heroin addict, gang member, occasional prostitute, often seen defiantly storming down the streets, usually shouting at someone. So she just sits down in his office and jumps right into talking. I'm going to read you from what he writes. I need help. She launches right in brash and something of a no-shit sister. Oh, she says, I've been to like 50 rehabs. I'm known all over, nationwide. She smiles, her eyes wander around my office, and she studies all the photographs hanging there. She multitasks, and her inspection of the place doesn't derail her stream of consciousness rambling. The family will arrive for the baptism in five minutes. I went to Catholic school all my life. Fact. I graduated from high school even. Fact. Right after graduation is when I started to use heroin. Carmen enters some kind of trance at this point and her speech slows to deliberate and halting. And I have been trying to stop since the moment I began. Then I watch as Carmen tilts her head back until it meets the wall. She stares at the ceiling and in an instant her eyes become these two ponds, water rising to meet their edges, swollen banks spilling over. Then, for the first time really, she looks at me and straightens. I am a disgrace. Suddenly her shame meets mine, for when Carmen walked through the door, I had mistaken her for an interruption. this sense that real kindness is only possible when we are willing to stray from our course of purposeful trying to get the next thing done. And I share this because we're so often in the trance of on my way somewhere else. And if that's the reality we're living in, then we really can't hear someone. They're in the way and and there isn't enough time and uh, as one person wrote, life is what's happening. When we're on our way somewhere else, we miss out. So it's very difficult to sustain attention and the more we're stressed, the less we're here, the less we're present. One friend wrote this, Multitasking is possible, multifocus is not. We just can't be there. So how many of us have ever, ever been on a phone call and at the same time done email? Don't raise your hands. (laughs) We don't have to confess at that level. But we know, right? And it's only, the pull to multi is only getting stronger. I mean, we're online and fragmented so often, we always have these things coming in. It's very hard to have that listening to the gong and that space of presence and becoming the silence that's listening. Not easy in this culture. I can say for myself that um, one time, I'm remembering in a very simple way, working and having a scheduled call and I, okay, I put down my work and got on the call and sensing uh, how much I wanted to be back doing the work I was doing and feeling this anxiety in my body. And the practice for me has become, and this is where the dense farce comes in, is to know that I have to make the U-turn and, and breathe with what's there and then re-resolve to be here. Like, re-choose, I'm here. This matters. There's time. 
notes and not to do email, not to try to multi. I do water plants while while I'm on the phone. Um, And I announce it so nobody will think I'm peeing or something. (laughs) Okay, so the idea here is reconnect with intention. Just keep reconnecting with your intention. Remind yourself of why listening matters. Because if you're listening because you feel guilty or obliged, it won't be sincere. I love the uh, story of one minister talks about giving a, a sermon on a Sunday and he says, I heard two teenage girls in the back whispering and giggling and disturbed me. So I interrupted the sermon. I announced sternly, there are two of you back there that haven't heard a word that I've been saying. And that quieted them down. Then he says, when the service went o- was over and he was greeting people at the front door, there were at least six adults that apologized for not listening. <laughs> he promised it would never happen again. <laughs> Guilt. So the reality is that um, we have to remember how come it matters to us. We have to remember what a difference it makes when we actually listen to someone. We listen and it benefits us because there's the integrity of presence. We really come home to ourselves. We make a clearing in the dense forest, which is beautiful. And it's a blessing to another. Rachel Naomi Remen, who's uh, one of my favorite teachers, writers, she's a, a wise woman mensch, in her book Kitchen Table Wisdom, this is another high recommend book, She described uh, the head of the Department of Family Medicine in some uh, teaching college and uh, what what type of a person he was. And the particular story that I loved was of one patient that would come to see him once a week. And she was a homeless woman. And she'd make this steep climb up to his clinic. Uh, She actually was... uh, it was once a month that he'd see her. And she, she, when she got there, her, her speech was kind of rambling and erratic and so on, eccentric. But he wasn't troubled by that. And with his usual grave courtesy, he welcomed her to his consulting room and listened to the details of her difficult life and tried to ease whatever he could of her burden. Well, after he had been seeing her for some while, he became aware that she sometimes came to the hospital when he wasn't there. Others would report it. The clinic nurses were puzzled. At first she seemed, in some mysterious way, she'd know it wasn't her day to see the doctor. And what she'd do is um, she just would stand by his consulting room, stand on the threshold, and slowly and deliberately she'd place a foot inside and then pull it back and then a foot inside and pull it back and after a while she'd be satisfied and she'd go away. This is what Rachel Remen writes. She says, The places in which we are seen and heard and cared for are holy places. They remind us of our intrinsic goodness and worth. They give us the strength to go on. They may even eventually help us transform our pain into wisdom. So the places that we are heard are holy places. And it really is the, um, the atmosphere of holiness that you can feel. It's suffused with presence. There is healing possible. So we remember, if we want to really show up and listen, we remember how come it matters and that regardless of how much another person listens, when we're present it creates a bridge, it creates a connection. This is uh, from Nick Penna. He says, you can listen anywhere. Your mind might not want to go. If you can listen, you can find answers to questions you didn't know. If you have listened, truly listened, you don't find yourself alone. Nick Penna is in fifth grade. Pretty good. If you have listened, truly listened, you don't find yourself alone. Okay, big question. 
how do I deal with listening when there's conflict? How is it when we're like really disagreeing, can we listen to each other? We know it doesn't happen out in the bigger world. We know that what we're experiencing right now is the not listening going on. How do we do it? How do we change that? If someone's being critical, if they have differing political views, or someone's telling you something that brings up your judgment or dislike. So what happens? And what we know is that when we get into conflict and stress happens, the aperture kind of narrows and we're really not able to take in much. I saw one in the New Yorker, one cartoon, a couple's arguing and he's saying, yeah, well, the Dalai Lama never had to deal with your whining. (laughs) So one of the questions people ask me often is, how do I be open and listen but also take care of myself? And I want to, that's kind of what I want to be exploring. How do we not be defensive if another person's being manipulative or self-serving or attacking us? So the first thing is that in this training to listen, um, if there's a place where you feel someone's being disrespectful or causing you harm, that's not a place to practice maybe. If somebody's, if there's harm, then you need to protect yourself and it may not be a place to be open or even be engaging. So this is something that takes some wise discernment to sense, is it healthy to be in conversation? But if you feel able, if you feel resilient, if you feel that you want to stretch yourself, let's explore how then you can create a clearing. And one of the tricks is to, ahead of time, you know, especially if this is a repeating situation with somebody, create a clearing ahead of time. In other words, ahead of time, anticipate what gets triggered, make the U-turn. Another, when I say U-turn, what I mean by that is, if somebody, if you know you're going to talk to somebody and they're going to say something that makes you feel like you're doing a bad job and you're not good enough and something's wrong with you, because that's a real common one, before you talk to them, make the U-turn, meaning turn your attention from them doing that to what it brings up in you, and feel it, and breathe with it, and bring kindness to it, and do some self-healing with it. In other words, bring your own wisdom and kindness to reassure and comfort and calm yourself. So you create a little bit of that clearing of presence ahead of time by taking care of your own unmet needs. That is a key piece to being able to enter into a conversation that's triggering and have a little more space. When it's two people talking, it's really good to have an agreement to take a time out for clearing a space. There's some really wonderful research done by John Gottman. He works a lot with couples and um, he did an experiment where he had couples talking and talking about subjects that would bring up a lot of stress and conflict. And he had them wired up in some way to um, measure different activity in their brain, except the wiring was fake. And at one point he said, oh, things aren't working, I have to fix the equipment. And he'd do that right when they reached a peak of having, you know, really being at odds with each other. So they had to take a time out. So they went to separate rooms for 15 minutes. And then he got them back together. Okay, fix the equipment, resume. But it turned out that they were much more resilient, much more space, much more able to work out whatever was going on. Now, they hadn't meditated. They didn't make a U-turn and clear their, you know, bring loving kindness to their unmet needs. They just took 15 minutes, which as it turns out, taking any time away from the trigger, our system has some resilience that it can begin to calm down on its own. Imagine if you take that time out and you actually do a real meditation with yourself, a lot more resilience. Whether we are facing a situation where there's conflict or whether we have an agenda or whether we're just distracted, or whether we're feeling time short, there are many different reminders that can help bring us back 
online, so to speak, that can help to recreate that clearing. And I wanted to take some moments to read a little bit of the kind of community wisdom that came my way this week from friends online on how we can do it. So you might just hear this as a kind of a a listening poem. Sit back, relax. I try to imagine that person when they were young, seeing that innocence in their eyes as a way of bringing my attention back to the world in front of me. I've learned to breathe out gently, relax my jaw and my shoulders, and lean back a little so I I can take in the message and listen as though it was my in-need self talking. Curiosity, being endlessly curious about people, nature, everything, can only continue by listening and becoming even more curious. I have learned not to see myself as someone who needs to be the problem solver for those I love. The first thing I try to do is be slow to respond. Sometimes lingering silence encourages opening more deeply. I have learned that an immediate response has the potential to cut off deeper insight. I want to read that again because it's a really good one. The first thing I try to do is be slow to respond. Sometimes lingering silence encourages opening more deeply. I have learned that an immediate response has the potential to cut off deeper insight. Knowing no response is needed to be peppered peppered back, most of us rarely require an oral response. Having someone allow words to flow without interruption can be medicine. pausing, connecting to my breath, and looking into the other person's eyes. Another question that comes. What if other, the other's not creating a clearing or listening? How do you manage the judgment or frustration of not being heard back, wishing the other was a better listener? And I suspect some of you have been wondering about this, that you're going to take on this project of really trying to listen and you might have a partner or a friend or whatever that, that just doesn't meet you in that. And you're the one that's always creating the, the clearing in the deep forest and, and they're not. So the first thing to say is that in many, many instances it is uneven. Um, we don't all have the same capacity to listen. The capacity to listen is kind of like the capacity to tolerate and feel feelings. Not everybody can. Some people were really wounded so intensely early on that it's actually dangerous to feel feelings and it's dangerous to listen inwardly and therefore it's cut off. So it's easy to blame others for not listening well but that only creates more of an atmosphere of... um, tension and of mistrust. In other words, if somebody feels like you're blaming them for something, that's the the last thing that's going to happen is that they're going to listen better. So two remembrances are this, that we all have different conditioning and blame only creates a a distance and that your listening can help another person learn to listen as well as freeing your own being. Um, it doesn't mean we have to resign to not having others listen. If there is some openness in another, we can explore ways to, to make it, to, to be there for each other. Just know that blame creates more fluff. That's kind of the equation here. So finally, on a societal level, because we've been talking about on, a, on an individual level, and the same exact principles that we're exploring that we pay attention to where the inner fears and hurts are so that we do some healing with that and so we have more space for others. That we um, learn the incredible pathway of finding ourselves distracted and just bring ourselves back and saying, listen, I can listen, I can be here. That if it can be done with others, especially others of difference, 
this is the kind of opportunity to bridge that really makes for evolutionary progress towards peace. And I wanted to share a story that I now and then share. Um, I wrote about it, I think, in Radical Acceptance, where um, there were teenage girls that were flown in from Israel and Palestine to a camp in rural New Jersey. And I think part of the reason I wanted to share tonight is because of a lot of the the pain and angst around what's going on in the Middle East right now. And that this shows the, the other side, which is that that if we put our attention to it, we can actually create bridges. So this name of the program is Building Bridges for Peace. And a group of teenage girls are thrown into this together in this camp in uh, rural New Jersey. And they have to live there together for several weeks or however long, I don't remember. And during that time they examine all their beliefs and all their senses of their identity and all the things that really fueled estrangement and hatred and war. And initially in the program, the girls are very mistrustful of each other. So it takes a while um, for them to start connecting. And they're trained in very basic listening practices of hearing something and saying back what you've heard, you know, so that the other person really gets that they've been heard. So at one of these camps, uh, a Palestinian girl told the rest of the campers about how Israeli soldiers had barged into her family's house, beaten up everybody, and then left without apology after finding out they were at the wrong place. And so the facilitator asked an Israeli teen to to say to repeat the story back, part of compassionate listening, in the first person, including the feelings of rage and terror that she might have felt. And after listening to the Israeli girl retell her story, the Palestinian girl began to weep and she said, my enemy has heard me. My enemy has heard me. And the two girls cried together and through their time together actually became close friends. When they were all leaving, one Israeli girl put it this way, she said, if I don't know you, it's easy to hate you. If I look in your eyes, I can't. So one of the promises of listening, we have to practice in our individual life, but we also need to do it in our, in, as, a, as groups of people with others, is that listening brings a proximity and an intimacy where we get beyond the surface mask of who we think others are. We get past the idea of an unreal bad other And it actually gives us the potential to see the humanness, the shared humanness, the vulnerability, the goodness, um, so we can begin to move forward together. So this is the domain of reconciliation, and it's occurring around the globe, and we need more of it. So we'll we'll close with just a a little practice of, of listening that we'll be with right now. You want to just adjust how you're sitting. In the stillness, take some moments to notice wherever there's particular tightness or tension and see if there's a natural letting go that's possible. Letting your senses be awake. Allow yourself to listen to the sounds that are right here. Listening not just with your ears, but your whole awareness. And taking in everything evenly, letting it wash through.
sense yourself resting in the heart space that's listening an openness, a wakefulness and a tenderness that's just listening the sounds around you I'm feeling the skin in your body where you sense your body interfacing with the space around you and then sensing that you can listen to and feel into your body you might imagine and sense that your awake heart is listening to your smaller heart to your smaller self and sense what might want to be known and heard right now you might listen to and feel the area of your heart maybe there's something going on right now in your life that wants the listening attention of your own awake self your more evolved self, your future self. Resting in that listening heart space and listen inward and sense what might want attention right now. Maybe there's some fear or some sadness or some loneliness. The invitation of this listening heart space is to welcome and include whatever's here. offer a tender, clear space to receive the life inside you what wants to be known right now to be listened to whatever you notice whatever emotion or mood or whatever has been there that maybe hasn't been in conscious awareness let it be received in a very pure open-hearted listening presence and notice what it's like to feel that parts of your own being have been received by your own high self by this awake heart received, held, honored widening the space of awareness to sense the beings in your life you might sense someone in your life that you'd like to deepen your commitment to listening to and sense your intention to bring this awake, listening heart space to that person
to know there will be natural reactivities and distractions and that part of the training is to just notice them and come back again keep re-arriving very forgiving re-arriving and bringing an interest and care holding a space for another the sense as we do this together so many of us deepening our listening attention we create the kind of sacred space that can bring healing to our world we close with a poem by John Fox when someone deeply listens to you When someone deeply listens to you, it is like holding out a dented cup you've had since childhood and watching it fill up with cold, fresh water. When it balances on top of the brim, you are understood. When it overflows and touches your skin, you are loved. When someone deeply listens to you, the room where you stay starts a new life and the place where you wrote your first poem begins to glow in your mind's eye it is as if gold has been discovered when someone deeply listens to you your bare feet are on the earth and a beloved land that seemed distant is now at home within you When someone deeply listens to you, your bare feet are on the earth, and a beloved land that seemed distant is now at home within you. Namaste, and thank you for your listening presence. For more talks and meditations, And to learn about my schedule or join my email list, please visit tarabrock.com. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.